You are listening to the Wisdom of Wealth podcast. My name is Ryan Haley. And my name is Kyle Kempers. Whether you're at the top of your game or you're just getting started, we are here to add as much value as we possibly can to your financial education. If you want to find out more, head on over to wisdomofwealth.co. Welcome to Wisdom of Wealth podcast. This is Ryan Haley and Kyle Kempers, my co-host, couldn't make it today, but we have a special guest who is Isaac Bennett, and I have had him on my podcast before, and he's also one of the team members of Unbridled Wealth. But more to the point, you are raising private capital for syndication investments, which we've talked about previously. So uh, Isaac, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Ryan, my friend, it is always great to chat with you. We will try to keep it a few minutes shorter than the two and a half hours we spent last time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we covered a lot of ground and some good stuff on that one. But uh, so right now, you know, we have already talked. And by the way, if you guys are just tuning in for the first time, um, we've had a number of episodes previously where we talked about a couple of things we're going to go through today, like with what is a syndication investment, you know, what is private capital and private placements And how does that work? And then combining that with this whole, you know, private uh, banking, life insurance, cash value thing that we've talked about for many episodes. So uh, this is fairly complex for a lot of people who aren't familiar with it. But again, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of those previous episodes uh, and then you'll be spun up for this one. But basically, you know, we had another guest recently, Mark Livingston, who's doing a very similar thing as what you're doing. And he had a specific kind of oil and gas energy deal type structure, but the same principle applies. And you are specifically uh, mainly in real estate and multifamily apartment buildings. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing and kind of uh, your whole journey getting into this space. Absolutely. And actually, I I know Mark. Mark's a great guy. I would encourage you to work with him for sure if you're an investor out there. Um, Absolutely a good guy. Uh, So we founded the company called UR under the premise that it's uh, really difficult to exhort or lift somebody up without first saying UR. For instance, I might say, Ryan, you are an excellent podcast host or any number of things I could uh, exhort Ryan for. But uh, that's the premise of our company. Um, A couple of those companies that we uh, raise capital for and do deals for. The first one is you are abundant. And uh, we do focus primarily on hard assets. So we're working on several multifamily deals. We just opened, actually, this is an interesting data point, our 11th entity this year um, for various wow. partnerships that we've done. So um, there's a lot of deal flow. Um, and then the other uh, company, which we actually just announced uh, two Sundays ago, is called You Are Launched. And that is more for individual private companies who may need help sourcing capital or uh, any number of other things that we're offering these companies in support. So we currently have four companies that we are supporting and you are launched and uh, a number of other companies kind of in the hopper that we're working on. So both uh, real estate, hard assets, and also companies that we syndicate for as well. So uh, that's kind of what we're doing. Did I answer your question? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> wow, I had no idea you you were already uh, you know had a done ton of things and entities going on. That's incredible. I don't know how you're keeping it all together, but you're uh, kind of the uh, classic prototype of a lot of the clients we work with. You know, business owner, entrepreneur, investor, and you know, familiar with the uh, infinite banking or privatized banking concept with the life insurance. And so, um, you know, birds of a feather tend to flock together, and uh, that's definitely how we connected. And um, I guess the, if I just maybe given us a little bit of a brief background story of how you got into what you're doing, why you're focusing on hard assets in the syndication model. Yeah. So uh, I started investing in real estate about 13 years ago and I, um, I'm drawn to partnerships in general because I think that people's skill sets can be so disparate. And the reality of syndication is it's, five or six different businesses in one. And most people are geared towards being only good at one or two of those five or six, where most people are trying to do most of them. I'm only sort of halfway good at one of the six. And so I just, I had to probably syndicate so I could stay alive and do that. Um, But, you know, again, I know we talked about previous episodes, but real quick for very high level, what, what does it mean to syndicate? What is a syndication? Yeah, a syndication is a fancy word for partnership. So um, typically a syndication is using the Reg D or Reg A, the Reg D carve outs or the Reg A filing um, with the SEC to say, essentially, 
we're selling a security, waving at the SEC and we're selling a security. And then the Reg D is a carve out that says, we're not filing this as a security. The Reg A is actually the opposite, which says we're selling security and we are filing this with the SEC. So you have to get approval for a Reg A. Um, but uh, it's a fancy word for a partnership. It is not a joint venture in the sense of a joint venture would not require this hand waving at the uh, SEC, which I don't think we want to get into the nuance of the difference there. But um, yeah, so 2013, we did our first partnership deal, which would have been a JV, and we sort of scaled and did bigger and larger deals as we moved up and um, really started doing this full time uh, last year. And um, now we're, we're trying to do maybe a deal every six weeks or so. Um, I think we're on pace to do 12 or 13 or 14 deals this year. That's actually a little too many. We would like to do maybe eight deals next year of uh, more scale, some more significant size. So you're, you're finding, um, cause you hit some of the important points as far as like the securities and the SEC stuff. And the, what we talked about on previous episodes, how, um, for a lot, not all, but for a lot of these, you have to be what's called an accredited investor. And we talked about what that means or certain income net worth requirements and other things. Um, but in the ba most basic sense, basically, correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of pooling capital. You're, you're, you're raising money from people who want to invest in real estate but don't want to have the active management involvement of being a landlord or managing the property and doing all that stuff. They kind of want to just be a passive investor who gives their money called an LP or limited partner. And someone like you, who's the GP or general partner or working with another, what we call sponsor operator, you say, Hey, we've got like a, a multifamily apartment building, you know, that we think looks attractive. We'll raise money. We think this is our projected return profile. And then those people basically just put up the money, don't have to do any of the work. And then you and the other partners kind of coordinate the actual deal and the investors just get a passive return on the back end. Is that kind of a general like summary that you would say encapsulates what you're doing? Yeah, you covered it really well. Um, there's a little bit of nuance in what we do. So um, typically we are just uh, working on uh, with partners, GPs, general partners who operate deals and um, are working with us in partnership. And we are, we are involved with these, you know, so um, these are very close partners that we've vetted and worked with. And we want to make sure that we are only working with the best operators and the best deals. So we're very involved in the due diligence and the underwriting and everything else. And um, just one little nuance to what I would say, everything you said is exactly right. We're bringing investors into this understanding that most people should not operate real estate. They should not be operating in the day-to-day -day because it doesn't fit into their lifestyle. They won't like it. They won't be good at it, whatever it is. I check every one of those boxes <laughs> for the record. Right. Um, and so we are coming in and we are pooling enough money, you know, seven figure checks and all these deals to where we can get um, advantaged terms with our operators for our LPs. So effectively coming in and investing with us, we don't charge fees or anything. Coming in and investing with us gets the investor a better deal. And then we're, we, we, we do two things. One, we put our own money in on the LP side. So we come in and invest as an LP right along with the investor and you get we, we benefit as well from the pool from having better terms for our dollars. It's everybody wins in that scenario. And then also on, with the operators, we're partners with them. So we have a small slice of the GP in all of these deals as well. So our skin is in the game on the financial side because a critical part of this, most of your listeners surely know this, but as LPs, typically the only thing at risk is their capital. They're not at risk if the deal goes south and the debt goes bad or something. That's one of the huge benefits of being an LP is not having your uh, any existential risk beyond your initial in capital. So we feel like we can value add for investors to get into the best deals and at better terms than they could get in themselves. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, you're kind of, it sounds to me like you're getting economies of scale between the amount of dollars that you're bringing to the deal. So investors are getting a, a better deal than they would otherwise. And then um, in general, these projects are something where like, you know, individually, very few people can buy, you know, an $80 million apartment building, yeah. right? But you get enough people writing 50 or $100,000 checks, um, add that all up, and then you can get, you know, probably a, a higher rate of return, more tax efficiently, and to the passive investor side, truly no work. You're not, there's no, you know, toilets, tenants, termites, all that kind of stuff. Um, now, I think that there's something to be said for physically owning your own home and maybe a couple of rental properties, but I think most people that really get into the space realize like, man, how many single family properties or even small, you know, 
multifamily, like duplex, fourplex, whatever, how many of those would I have to own and manage to, to get to a point of like significant financial freedom. Right. And it's, it's probably unsustainable for most people to scale to that point. And they'd be almost buying themselves a minimum wage job in a sense, if they didn't outsource at least some of that. And this way it's just completely passive. Here's the money. I'm expecting a pretty decent return. Um, that's, you know, usually not going to move in the same way, what we call correlated, or it's, you know, low, low correlation or inverse correlation to the, uh, you know, stock market and those kinds of things so that you're not exposed to the same level of risk. So I think that's kind of the, the key, you know, value add to a passive investor or LP is that they can get involved in something where they just put up the money, they get the money back you know, completely passively, and they're getting exposure to hard assets and a different kind of profile than, you know, what's typically available in the public markets like stocks and bonds. That's completely right. Every word of that is right. And I would add one thing to that. Um, we're also hiring the very best people to operate these things, because I think one thing that people forget about these investments is uh, they're not investments, they're businesses. And right. so if you if you go buy an $80 million apartment complex, that is a full on operating business that probably has, you know, uh, $10 million of gross revenue or something and, and $5 million of net operating income or something like that. And so this is a full on operating business. And the simple fact is, is there are wonderful operators. There are the Michael Jordans uh, of operators. I'm giving away my age here a little bit. I say LeBron James. <laughs> there are the Michael Jordans of operators and there are everybody else. And we, we fell into everybody else camp and we said, wait, wait a minute. We think there's a better way to do this. Let's go hire Michael Jordan to do it. And so that's what we do. We hire Michael Jordan to do it. And the, the results of that are night and day. Because the, the same building or the same complex that one person might run into the ground and go bankrupt with, somebody else might double or triple their investors' money. I know that sounds crazy. It's absolutely the case. Yep, absolutely. In fact, I was just talking to another client and investor uh, the other day about that. It's really... I mean, in any, if you're investing in a stock of a publicly traded company, right? Like you hope that they have a competitive advantage, some kind of value add that nobody else can do, but you have no direct involvement in that. Um, and you're probably not getting any meaningful cash flow for the most part. Whereas with this, you're kind of doing the same thing, but you're partnering with someone who's more boots on ground, directly involved in the day-to-day -day management. And hopefully these sponsor operators, the people actually doing the work day-to-day, -day, rehabbing the properties, putting the tenants in, you know, all the work that goes into that, you know, you really want to find those best in breed operators and managers who have a, a system set up and can get those returns safely and efficiently. And I mean, it really is, it is unbelievable the returns that can, you can get from these. Um, in fact, if you have, I know we talked before we started recording, maybe just give us a couple hypothetical examples of some actual views you currently have, or that you have in the future that could give just a, a broad overview of what that investment would look like. Absolutely can do that. And there's a number of examples just to even of deals that we've done. Um, but I'll give you one example from a recent project we worked on with a great operator called REM Capital down in San Antonio. REM Capital is going to do very roughly um, a deal a month, 500, probably 500 million a year or so, um, and scaling up even further beyond that. So this is, this is a multi-billion dollar operation, right? So we're not, we're not talking child's play, you know, yeah. but we, we worked with them on a, a project in San Antonio that closed a, a few weeks ago that, um, 304 units, uh, and you'd be shocked by the dollars paid for these units in, in a big city, you know, in a nice location really is very, very desirable location. They bought it so right and there was a simple reason why is because the the PL did not reflect what it should have because the previous ownership simply did not improve their building. They didn't put the capex into it. They didn't manage it very well. They didn't keep the property up to the level of the one just next door. So everybody was going to choose next door. And you know, there's a little bit of probably inertia there, the wrong type of inertia that left them way behind in market rents. So probably as it sat, it was five hundred dollars per door per month below market rent. And with a little bit of value add upside, which again, our partner is fully vertically integrated. They, they do all their own GC work. Um, it's probably $700 a door. So the math here, you know, the purchase price on this, and it, I'm going off memory here. I don't have it in front of me. We didn't set sure. this up, but you know, all in purchase price on this one was uh, something like 28 million. 
uh, five or six million dollars in value add. You got about 34, 35 million into the deal. You got working cap. You got an acquisition fee for the for the uh, for the syndicator, um, for REM, all these things. But think about the math that I just said there. Let's use the conservative number, five hundred dollars per door. That's five hundred times three oh four times twelve months divided by a cap rate. A cap rate in San Antonio is about four point five. So you're ultimately dividing that by call it 0.405. Right. I don't know if you're doing the math, Ryan, on that, but that's about I'm just 35. Try to briefly show people how that works because this is another big difference with um, commercial real estate that's important to understand is that unlike residential real estate that most people are familiar with, the value of the property is not based on comparable sales of properties nearby or that are similar in some way. The, the value of the property is driven by the income that it generates. And so that's where rather than hoping and praying that the market goes up with, you know, the neighborhoods you're in or whatever, by doing these things, by raising, you know, the revenue and or decreasing the expenses and getting what you said, that critical metric, the net operating income or NOI of the property, that's kind of like the yield, I guess, if you roughly analogous to a bond or a dividend, you know, it's like, you know, what you're actually netting at the end of the day from the income component. And that is what drives the value of the property. So if you can increase by having, you know, efficient operations, buying it an undervalued property from a, a mom and pop operator who haven't been, you know, really keeping up with what they should have been doing to keep those rents where they, you know, would normally be in the market, then you're significantly increase. It's called forced appreciation, right? Because the appreciation doesn't depend on external factors. It's based on the actual performance of that property. And so when you're giving these numbers, I think it's important because you said you could raise the rent by $700 per unit. Yeah. With, with some uh, upgrades on the interior and probably as it sits, you know, five, 500 without any real. Up, so if we just think of that so. $500 per unit and there's 304 units, that's $152,000 a month times mm -hmm. 12. You've just increased the net operating income of that property by over $1.8 million. Now, now divide that by 0.045 and you'll see the value add. Right. And so what you're talking about here is the, what's called the cap rate, capitalization rate. And that is this, what the market is essentially valuing, saying, I'm willing to pay, you know, um, I want to basically get a 4.5% yield. That's the cap rate. So when you take that and divide it, so the 1.8 million divided by the 0.045, that's $40.5 million, if I did that math right, of value. You did. You did. So you, now, bought it, you bought it all in for $38 million. 30, 28. <laughs> 28. Well, with the CapEx and everything that's going to raise these markets. 34, rents. 34. Yep. So you have within, and how long does it take to get that point where you raised it by $500 a door? Well, and so I will answer your question in a roundabout way. Um, between here and there is where Michael goes to play, he, where uh -huh. he's on the court. Okay. And so you're going to get a lot of gurus out there or, or wannabe TikTok gurus that are going to be like, oh, here's the math. Boom, 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 done there is an enormous amount of bloodshed between here and there. <laughs> yeah. And so I just want to tell you, most people will try to effectuate that math and fail. Yeah. And you have to be dead red certain that you know exactly what you're doing and can make it happen. And so how long does this business plan take to play out? Between uh, 24 and 48 months, depending on how smoothly everything goes. So 24, you'll, you'll get most of your money back. And by 48, the whole thing should be, should be finalized. And so Yes, we work with partners where we believe that they have a 95 or better percent chance of hitting their pro forma numbers. However, it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're choosing one out of a thousand operators to, to partner with or something like that. So. Right. And that's the critical thing is those people who have been doing this, they have a track record, they have a system, they can quickly, they know how to identify undervalued properties, get them at below market prices, quickly increase the value, do that. What we said, CapEx, that's capital expenditures, so improvements to the property, you know, uh, putting in updates to the, the kitchen and the bathroom and, you know, painting and making the place look a lot nicer to the residents who are willing to pay more in rent. And then, you know, you, you budget for that. And then you are basically by increasing the cash flow of the property, you're also significantly increasing the market price of that property. So you're, you're increasing 
the yield or the cash flow throughout that hold that's call it 48 months, you know, four year time frame. So they started off with probably not much, you know, going out to investors, maybe even slightly negative as they're putting that, you know, money into improving the property. But over time, you'd expect that there would be, you know, um, a higher cash flow. And then within call it four years, just on the market price alone, you know, you went from call it 34 million to 48 million, you've more than doubled your money just on the price in four years. And then I'm assuming that there's also some distributions that get paid periodically to investors while they're holding on to it. Well, so I want to, there's one minor part of your math there that was off and you're not going from 34 to 48. What you did on your calculator is the value add. So you're right. going from, you're going from effectively call it 30 million to more like <laughs> 70 million. Yes. Good, good point there. Yes. Yeah. That was so, just the return itself. Just, just the alpha. Yeah. 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 You're right. All of that is, is exactly correct. And, and the, the, um, the reality of hitting those types of returns is in the quality of the acquisition and the skill of the operator. And so that's, that is really the critical thing to understand. And, you know, I think, one premise that if people are not inclined to invest as a limited partner, one premise to really think about on your acquisitions is not buying on a cap rate. You're buying on comps or buying on replacement value or building value or something like that, preferably well below those things. And you're adding the value that gets you to be able to sell it at a cap rate. So you want to buy on a comp and sell on a cap. And so I think yeah, I think that's a, a real a real big thing there. And and between the comp and the cap is the skill of the operator. And that is where we don't think that many people are professional real estate operators. Right. We think a few people are just like every other, uh, like Ryan, you are a professional uh, infinite banker, infinite banking trainer, professional insurance person. There aren't that many of those. There's a bunch of people that play it, but there aren't that many of them. And that's the exact same is true in operating real estate. Wow. So that's another interesting thing that you brought up is that there's multiple ways. There's really basically, I think, three ways for the most part to value a property. The traditional one with most people are familiar with is in typically residential real estate is uh, comps or comparables, right? Yeah. And there's the replacement cost, right? How much yep. would it take to, if I had to just completely you know, demolish this entire structure and start from scratch. How much would it take for me to rebuild this, um, this property? Right. And then yep. there's the, the cap rate model, but what you're saying, and I hadn't realized that this was, um, you know, part of the, the math and the, the value add was that you're buying based on a comp to start with, even with this commercial property and which is going to make your purchase price a lot lower but then you get it to the point where it's improved the value enough where it is, I guess there's some threshold at which now the property can be valued on the basis of a cap rate and that will give you a higher sales price. So you're buying low and selling high with multiple factors increasing the difference between what you paid and what you're going to end up with at the end. And I want to add one, what you said is um, insanely valuable for people to understand, but I'm going to add one additional point in there. The market doesn't know anything. The comps, the comps lie to you. <laughs> and the, the, the simple truth is sellers like to lie to. Sure. They like to lie about the property, the condition, the PL, all of these things. There's, there's, there's sort of the story and then there's the truth. And those typically right. are two different things. Okay. Yeah. Not to even mention brokers being involved. Right. There's a critical thing to understand about commercial property that people apply to residential all the time. They don't apply to commercial is understand what you're paying price per square foot for every room you walk into. Hmm. How useful is it? What net lease can you get based on that, that you're getting in that price per square foot? What are you paying? What did the guy next door pay? What did the guy down the street pay? And how does this compare to the actual uh, usability, net rentable leasing square footage of what that is. And if you can get down to that sort of granular data, and I'm not advising getting analysis paralysis, I'm just <laughs> saying, understand your numbers well enough as to where you know exactly how much usable square feet you're buying, what you're paying for those square feet, and exactly what you can get to your best of your ability in the net leasing uh, market. And then that's how you know whether or not you have a good deal. 
And I think for a lot of people who aren't willing or able to do that kind of analysis and, and have that kind of knowledge, that's the value that you and the general precisely you can tell them like, first of all, I've got money in this deal too, right? Because you never want to yeah. be with someone who's selling you something they're also not buying, right? That's, yes. that's always a huge red flag for me, you know? So, okay, it's a good deal for me, but not for you. You got to wonder why that is, right? So yeah. the big thing is with hopefully the GP as well as, um, you know, your role in connecting the LPs to the GPs, these like best in class operators, is that everybody has their own skin in the game so that, you know, they're not just making their money off of fees, that they are... Um, tied to the investment performance of that property of that project, whatever it is. And um, so that's, that's one thing I'd say just right off the bat, you, you always want to say how much money do you personally, and does the company or the, you know, the sponsor operator have invested? And then, you know, you can give people who know, you know, enough, but aren't necessarily down to the granular details of, okay, this is how much the acquisition cost is per square foot. Here's much, you know, I run all these numbers and a discounted cash flow analysis, and I figure out what I think it can sell for. Like that's probably beyond the scope of what most passive investors can or will do. And that's where you can come in as kind of an expert on it. And also someone who's got skin in the game, your own money in the deal and help people to feel confident. It's like, look, I wouldn't have invested in this myself if I didn't think that this was pretty good. And this is why I like this, this partner that we're working with, you know, here's their experience, blah, 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 like you laid out. Um, and then another thing that you mentioned, I had never thought of this before, but correct me if I'm wrong, Isaac, the LPs, the limited partners or passive investors, they're getting all the benefits of leverage by using, you know, financing to buy these properties, but they're taking none of the risk. The most risk that they can take is, their capital involved. So let's say I invest $100,000 in this deal. If things go south, well, yeah, I mean, $100,000 is nothing to sneeze at, but I'm, you know, if I'm buying a property myself, like a single family or a fourplex, and I've used 80%, let's say I put 10% down and, and leveraged 90% with uh, a mortgage, I could lose a lot more than just the money I put in, right? That's where leverage cuts both ways. It can increase your returns, but it can also increase your losses beyond what you initially put in. In this case, sounds like you're saying the LPs have no liability for that debt so that their losses are limited, but their upside can be significantly enhanced with the leverage. Yeah. And so I try to err really strongly on the side of hardly ever saying there isn't this risk. You know, I, I, I want people to know that when working with us, we think about risk all day long, every day. I mean, right. really, I, I sit around and think about risk constantly and I'm, I'm, I'm nerdy like that. And so we believe that this is the best way to do, as you just said, which is to essentially trade with margin, which is what this is. That's what leverage is to trade with leverage without the substantial downsides that that comes with, whether you're in paper products or whether you're in real assets. And so we believe that investing as a passive investor in this manner is the way to do that most responsibly, which is to gain the benefits of leverage in real estate, which we all understand what those are, without having the substantial balance sheet or existential risk that sometimes those things offer if you're doing it yourself or you're acting as a general partner. And so um, it's a critical point to understand. In fact, and I say this, and I sign this sincerely a hypocrite, as with most things, I say there's a caveat that makes me a hypocrite, but <laughs> investing as an LP should be everybody's long-term goal. <laughs> I mean, it is yes. the single best way to invest if you understand who knows how to find deals and who knows how to operate those deals. That's what you should aspire to. I say I'm a hypocrite because basically we're involved with these operators to get the GP portion of them, which tells you how, with what I just said, it tells you how serious we are about finding the absolute rock star operators. Um, but man, if I could sit around all day and just invest my own money with a few friends and get the benefits, the economies of scale, as you say, only said earlier and do that and nothing else, life would be good. I can't do that yet, but someday Ryan, I think that's what we'll both be doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously you have to have money before you can invest money, right? So this is how you're making your living. Most people are making their living at a W-2 job or maybe their own business, right? But the money has to come from somewhere in the first place in order for it to be invested. But when you do enough of these deals, eventually you can get to the point where as you're getting these kinds of returns, reinvesting into the next deal and the next, pretty soon the investments are self-sustaining and what you're using to fund those new investments <laughs> is just the return 
from the previous ones. And that's where you get to that point of financial freedom, kind of that escape velocity where you no longer have to work at all if you don't want to. Now, I think I can say uh, for both of us, we love what we do. We're good at it. We just have a knack for it. And hopefully everybody's finding that in whatever it is that they do for a living. Mm. But um, but yeah, that's really um, an amazing thing that I had not considered. And so on that point, let's say just a worst case scenario, the whole deal falls through. It's you know a disaster. Who is on the hook for that debt if the LPs are not? It comes down to whether or not recourse debt is being used or not. So in many of these cases, there will be recourse bridge loan debt to, you know, during the period that there's a lot of value add being created. Um, and then oftentimes they're being converted or, or the bridge loan is being paid off through a cash out refinance that um, moves these debt to non-recourse. Okay, so I think the holy grail of debt here is um, interest-only non-recourse debt. That's the holy grail. Um, you know, I have a something of a contrarian opinion on that as to most real estate GPs, and um, I like my GP to have recourse debt. So I like them to go to risk. I like them going to sleep at night thinking, I have to make this work because. <laughs> Because I, I think humans must be on the line to perform well. And, yeah, um, is key. and, and I think that that is a big thing. Now, deal by deal, if, if I trust a GP and I know that they're able to get a wonderful loan that has a nice interest-only period and is non-recourse, shake their hand, congrats, buddy, that's a great deal. Good job. In general, I need to know that they're willing to take recourse on a deal because you know they love the deal. Right. That's a great point. But I guess, you know, from the standpoint of the passive investor, which probably most people listening to this, that's the position they would be in. Right. It's, is it, is it true that if they say again, invest a hundred thousand dollars, worst case that happens is they lose all that money, but it's not yeah. like they're going to have to come back and post more capital. Like, Hey guys, sorry, things went South. We, uh, we, we we're gonna have to sell the property loss. We've got, you know, $20 million outstanding loan. We have to pay off. We're underwater or whatever. Like, it's not like they can come back and demand more capital from those limited partners. Right. Excellent question. And the answer to your question is I've never done a deal that allowed LPs to be called. Okay. So, so there may be so, some, but the ones you're involved with are not that way. Yeah. And this is where it gets into the nuance of the operating agreement, because there, there could be a structure where a limited partner could certainly be called. It's not that they can't be called. It's that in general, a limited partner means they're not uh, for, the, for the first position debt, but that doesn't mean there couldn't be an equity call. So one thing that they, just a broad brush education, you're looking at a PPM and an operating agreement for a deal. You better find out exactly whether or not an LP can be called for additional funds. If there is certain things they can be called for, if they can be called for at all. I mean, primarily I will tell you if an LP can be called, that's probably a no. That's in our due diligence for understanding how operators work and partnering with them and becoming substantially involved with them, which we're substantially involved with every GP. I want everybody listening to know that we are substantially involved with every GP. But one of those things that is a today, as I sit here, is a dead red requirement is you can't call your LPs. That's another thing on the, you are, you are taking 100% ownership of this thing as a GP of making this project work. You can't call your LPs, figure it out. <laughs> right. And when you say call the LPs, you mean require them to post more money. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. That's a really good, you know, man, I learned something today for sure. I, I'm pretty familiar with syndications and I've talked to a lot of people like this, but that is one thing I had never considered. And that's where you really want to be is you want to get ideally in that position where you're getting all the upside benefits of leverage without any of the downside risk. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, the nature of syndication is that you're giving a portion of the, uh, of what's called a promote, which is not a word that makes sense in any way, other than the fact that that's the way the industry uses it, but you are giving carried, uh, carried interest, carried equity. You're giving equity to the G for the, to the GP for their skills and for their effort and work. Sure. And, my so so, just the I guess the point there is is you are giving away some of the upside. I think that the delta goes well beyond for hiring the best people. I think there's more upside by hiring hiring the best people and giving away a healthy chunk of the GP. For me, I want a GP that charges reasonable fees to keep the lights on and wants as big of a portion of the GP as possible. Why? That's how they get paid. They get paid by performing. Yeah. And if for me, if the best people can get paid by performing, then there's plenty of upside in it for everybody. Um, 
that's that's the structure that I like. And there's, you know, some people will be like, oh, you have to get 80% as an LP or it has to be this or it has to be that. And I say, nah, not really. Give me the best GP. So yeah, that's a great point. So maybe instead of saying all of the upside, you're getting most or a good portion of the a good upside chunk. with none yep. of the downside, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. If you're getting the first seven or 8% of the deal, and then you're getting 60% of it afterwards or 50 to 70% of it afterwards, you're getting paid first and you're getting paid well to have a really good, good, good person operate this deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really the most critical thing to examine a, the most importantly, the quality of the sponsor operator, the general partner, the person who's identifying these properties, acquiring them, improving them through these value add, you know, um, different methods we talked about, and then uh, selling them at hopefully a really good multiple of what they bought it for. That is the most critical thing. And then you also really want to examine the deal structure, you know, like, can I be, you know, if I'm going to invest passively in this, uh, is there a possibility that I could be required to put more money into the deal later? That's something we obviously want to avoid. And then having people like yourself who can interface between the passive investor and the boots on ground general partner doing all the, uh, you know, the actual tangible work is that you've got this experience. You're also invested in the deal and as is hopefully the GP. And so you've got skin in the game and you can kind of like interpret these things with your specialized knowledge, um, your understanding and relationship of that general partner and be able to tell, you know, people who may not know as much about this, like, look, I think this is a really solid one. I'm invested in it. Here's what I think is reasonable. You know, here are the numbers that I think that I'm kind of projecting for my investment. And, uh, you know, this other one, maybe it would be appropriate for you, maybe not for you. Um, but you can kind of shed light on all those nuances that really are required, um, in this, I don't know what you say at a kind of in-between space. You're not doing the physical work on the ground, but you're a lot more involved than the typical passive investor. Um, so there's actually a fair, a fair, um, a fair bit of difference in some of these deals because there are we take different positions in them. We're, we're substantially involved in every one, so we're doing at least some portion of the work in everything that it is. We just try to stay in our own lane, sure, um, and and do what we do well. Uh, we definitely offer economies of scale to investors to get better terms, and we definitely offer um, a tremendous amount of due diligence that probably most people don't want to go to. And, you know, I think what we can help people do is compress timeframes and with more credibility, know where to put their money. And that's the that's probably the critical thing uh, that we are that we are ultimately offering them. Right. Because I mean, the average person probably doesn't know how to like, you can go on, you know, a publicly traded exchange, like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ and look at, you know, securities and see all the quote unquote deal flow, you know, right there on your, you know, personal brokerage account. Most people, there's not like a, a similar system to be able to look at every possible commercial you know, real estate deal throughout the country on an exchange like that. Right. And that's, um, you know, that's where knowing where to find the deals and the value and which deals are the good ones and which ones are the bad ones or which ones could be good if it had a good operator, but could also be bad if it had a bad operator. I think that's a really important thing. Um, these markets are not nearly as efficient as the public markets where everything's just on your screen, but that is, I think what, what is, allowing those best in class Michael Jordan sponsor operators and GPs to really outperform. And when you partner with them consistently, that's giving you a significant advantage where you can quote unquote, beat the market very sustainably. I think that's exactly right. You had a lot of really good points there. They, they are, um, they're deeply inefficient markets and they are uh, highly predicated on the skill of the operator. That's, that's yep. exactly right. Yeah. So, wow, that's good. I, I learned something today and I hope uh, that uh, if you're listening to this, you did too. Now, obviously what we have been talking about in previous episodes is to take this whole amazing thing even further, rather than just paying for this, you know, investment directly out of your checking or savings account, run it through a cash value life insurance policy first, where you're getting a safe, you know, sustainable tax-free uninterrupted compounding return in the policy on top of what you're getting in the deal. And, you know, we talked about that in the previous episode with Mark, when we talked about that um, CETUS indication deal with the energy play, but that just adds yet another layer of value and return and some other benefits. And again, we're not going to go into this at this point, but I definitely would encourage you again to go back and check out some of those previous episodes here um, where we explain how that works. But that is kind of the magic 
uh, formula that I found for a lot of people. Like you said, you know, you get into real estate investing, you, you find out how amazing it is. At some point, most people who continue to do well and scale up realize exactly what you said, Isaac, which was ultimately the goal is to become an accredited investor, be able to invest <laughs> in these passive LP deals, because you're just not going to be able to scale as quickly or efficiently, certainly not as passively as you would if you're managing all your own you know, portfolio of properties yourself, or even hiring a property manager. And then when you can add that additional return that, you know, is not by any means a get rich quick scheme, but over time, you know, you're adding significant return by running the money through the policy, then you're just really, you're creating multiple, what I call ecosystems that are now synergizing together, each of which are amazing in their own right. But now you're basically leveraging the benefits of one to the other. And it is a truly powerful combination. Yeah, Ryan, you're exactly right. That is the right way to do it. This is the single point that most financial advisors get so wrong. Um, and you're you're spot on with what you're talking about. And ultimately, getting this money to work for you in a couple of different places, highly tax advantaged is what you're looking at. And effectively, instead of giving your money to a bank to sit as a liability on their balance sheet until they lend it out. You're turning your money into an asset for uh, the life insurance company and yourself to actually uh, be invested and make a higher return tax-free or heavily tax-advantaged, um, and then working on it in two places. This is what we suggest all of our investors do, um, so much so that I got my own license to help them do it. I will tell you, most financial advisors will uh, probably tell you not to do this. And um, all I have to say is uh, it could be could be advice you should look deeper into. So um, yeah, I, I think that's exactly the right way. Ryan is um, highly knowledgeable in this area and you should probably work with him on your uh, infinite banking setup. Well, I appreciate that, Isaac. And I would say the same thing about you as uh, someone who is very knowledgeable. And I think most importantly, has been doing this personally for many years uh, with much success. That's always, I think, the, the proofs in the pudding. And uh, that, is, that is, to me, a really important thing. Whether you're talking about anytime you buy something from someone, if you're looking, if you're working with a realtor who supposedly, in, you know, specializes with investors and investment properties, first question you want to ask them is how many investment properties do you personally own, right? Same thing for a mortgage officer, uh, a stockbroker who's trying to sell you a certain stock, you know, like, you know, how much do you personally have in this, you know, because again, if it's not a good enough deal for you, why is it a good deal for me? Unless the only reason you're doing it is you're making a fee regardless, right? There's nothing wrong with fees and commissions, but you, I think that alignment of incentives is so critical. And so in this case, you know, you want people who are, you know, have their own policy and have their own skin in the game with these particular deals. And, uh, you know, that's always going to be, I think, the best way to see if this person's for real. And uh, so that's why, you know, we're very selective in who we talk to and work with. And I can tell that's the same for you, Isaac. We obviously have a lot of common friends and, um, you know, fellow investors in the community. And the most successful ones that I see are the ones who are asking those questions, setting up these, you know, structures that work together. And then they do eventually get to a point where, they don't need to work anymore. I just had one client last month, just retired at the age of 47. Uh, he's going to keep investing, but he doesn't need to. He doesn't even need to keep investing at this point. He's not working anymore. He doesn't even need to invest anymore if he doesn't want to. Um, but that is what he's done. And that is what we typically see the highest level um, investors and most sophisticated people who have taken the time and effort to understand these things that is what they're doing. And it's, it's truly unbelievable. It's almost like you can't believe it when you first hear about it and you see it. And then it's, that's why we want to provide this type of financial education. Cause I'm like, man, I knew a lot of things about a lot of things, but if I had known about these things uh, <laughs> more than just two or three years ago, when I first found out about them, Holy smokes, you know, like I I'm in a good place, but I would have been way ahead of the curve. If somebody had told me about all this 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, look, it's a process and we're all learning. Can I actually plug one other thing shamelessly that we're working on that I think is really interesting for people? Absolutely. We specialize in taking people's 1031 funds and putting them in syndications. Okay. And not a lot of people are doing that. And there's a very particular way you have to structure it, which we're familiar with. We have the legal setup to do. We do need to know in advance. This is a um, heavily timing dependent just based on the law. But if we know that you have a 1031 coming up, we can put you in a 
uh, a position in a syndication as to where you can become turn passive effectively. And it is a different structure than most. So you have, you have to be careful, but we specialize in this. So if anybody listening to this has a 1031 coming up, that's um, we set kind of an arbitrary floor of 500K because there is a fair bit of work involved. But if you have a 500K in equity uh, 1031 coming up, we'd be happy to work with you to convert that into a syndication. And our operators, one of the things that we're, we're uh, looking for in partnering with them is people who understand the structure and are malleable enough to work with it. So really quickly, for anyone who's not familiar with the 1031, what is that? Uh, a 1031 is just a section of the tax code that allows you to uh, trade your real estate, one piece of real estate for a like kind piece of real estate. And like kind doesn't mean what you think it is. So I'd encourage you to look up like kind um, with a, um, you have to, it has to cost as much or more than what you sold. And there's actually a common misconception that says you have to take on as much debt in the next one. You actually don't have to do that. You could actually bring more cash to it if you wanted. But what that allows you to do is it allows you to step up your cost basis and not pay any taxes on that step up in the new property. So it allows you to not pay any taxes on your exchange. What we are offering is the ability to do that into a passive investment or into a syndication uh, and set it up as such to where it's it's legal and um, and effective for you to do that. It, it is because of the nature of what it is, we set a, a, an arbitrary number at 500K. If you have 475K coming, don't think you can't do it. I'm just saying roughly 500K is what we say is the limit. So just as a real quick example, let's say that you bought a property for $500,000, um, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And you you don't want to manage it anymore. You're retiring, you're getting older, or you just realize I don't want to, you know, this is too much work. I want to be truly passive. So I want to sell this property, but now the property is worth a million dollars. So if I sell this for 500,000, I'm going to have a capital gains of $500,000. If you're in, you know, the 20% tax bracket, even that's going to be a pretty hefty tax bill, right? You're talking about a hundred thousand dollars in taxes to be able to do that. Whereas with the 1031, you can defer potentially even way down the road, eliminate all of those capital gains taxes, pay no taxes, cash out that property. And then better yet, now you're truly becoming a passive investor with potentially a higher return by doing what you're doing. Take it a step farther. There, there, there's one other thing you have to consider. If they've owned the property for 10 years, that means they've depreciated the property. So the basis is actually like probably, I'm just throwing a number out, it could be 200K. So you'd actually pay taxes on 800,000 in that scenario. So your tax bill would be probably a couple hundred thousand dollars in the scenario you just laid out. So you're exactly right. This would actually step the basis up from 200,000 to a million in that. And now right. you're getting to start over. And the wonderful thing about that is that when someone passes away, I don't know if this is wonderful because we're talking about death, but when <laughs> someone passes away, there's another step up to the heirs, okay? So it, the, the gain actually goes completely away. It's one of the only ways in the tax code to actually take your depreciated gains completely away. So this would allow somebody to go from, yeah, presumably an active investment to a, a more passive one and, and uh, benefit from the 1031, that's right. Yeah, so you're saving several hundred thousand dollars in taxes in this example, and you're now passive. And I would say probably for most people, unless they were a rock star, Michael Jordan, personal operator of their properties, which means that that was pretty much a full-time job or close to it at yeah, that scale. Sure. Um, now you're getting no taxes on the gain. You're getting out of that property. You're becoming passive and you're probably earning, my guess is a much higher return, especially net of taxes because of all the benefits of the taxes inside these syndication deals, which we haven't talked about. That's another thing we can go into later, but those are a number of benefits. And then if, again, if you run this through a life insurance policy to start with, yeah. then you're getting you know tax advantage gains in the policy passively the whole way through on money that you would have just paid anyways. And so I guess to sum it up, you wanna insource the banking function that most people are outsourcing by default and earning nothing on their money in their checking accounts and savings accounts now. Um, so insource that function by using the cash value and the life insurance, fund the deal with that, then outsource the management, the property you know, analysis and all the day-to-day -day work to someone like yourself and a general partner who specializes in that. And then like you said, everybody is doing what they do best. They know their lanes, they know what they're good at, they know what they're not good at, they focus on what they're good at, they outsource what they're not good at, and then you put all that together, you got a pretty magic combination of factors all working in your favor. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. We won't even go into opportunity zones. We have a deal that's about to open up that's an opportunity zone. We'll save that for the next podcast. But that's another way that we think that we could really help people with tax planning. Um, we are not tax strategists. We just understand it pretty well and we are very sensitive to it. So um, that is an area that I think we can really elevate people's games. It's just in creatively that real estate professional status, being able to take active, you know, right. that's another critical thing, but that's the next podcast, Ryan. I'm going to let you off the hook on all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a wealth of information and I thank you for, for sharing, uh, all that you have in that regard for people who want to connect with you, learn more, maybe get involved with some of your deals or learn more about, uh, what you've got going on. How can they connect with you? Yeah. Easiest way is just a peoplebrand.com. There's an investor landing page there that you can submit, or you can, uh, you can email me, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C at a peoplebrand.com anytime. Feel free. And if you want to put my phone number or something in the show notes, that's fine too. Texting is the best way to get a hold of me. <laughs> okay, great. Well, a peoplebrand.com. If you want to connect with Isaac, see his website, I'll put that in the show notes. And then as always, you can schedule a complimentary session um, with uh, myself or one of the other agents at Unbridled Wealth. If you want to talk about how the cash value life insurance can play into this, and we'll have that link in the show notes as well. But once again, Isaac, thank you. You're always a wealth of knowledge and such a just pleasant person to talk to and learn. Days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, uh, it's fun being able to work with you on several levels here and, and talk to you again. And so uh, again, if all this stuff, I know we threw a ton of information out there. If you're tuning in for the very first time to this podcast, I do apologize, but go back and listen to those things. As I've said multiple times already, it will fill in a lot of gaps, but this is just really, really valuable knowledge that I wish I'd learned about a lot earlier. And that's what we're passionate about here at the Wisdom of Wealth podcast is sharing these things that not a lot of people know about or talk about, but they're absolute game changers. And the sooner you learn about it, the sooner you start getting involved or get to the point where you can be involved, mm -hmm. then you're going to get, um, I think, a, a lifetime value that is many, many multiples of what you probably could get otherwise. So that's what we're passionate about doing. We hope that this helped you guys and resonated with you. Um, we'll have many more episodes, hopefully more interviews with you, Isaac. Um, but this is the stuff that I think I'm seeing the most successful investors and people that I know doing. And it truly is resulting at the end of the day, we all know money is not an end in itself. It's just a tool. Mm -hmm. And this can help you to live your highest and best life, your highest and best self by getting that financial freedom, that time freedom to be able to, you know, really live life on your terms. And that's really what the ultimate bottom line is at the end of all this. But there are some important things, some technical details and some, you know, educational components that help you get there. So that's what this is all about. Thanks again, Isaac, for coming on here. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next week on uh, the Wisdom of Wealth podcast, which you can also check out if you go to wisdomofwealth.co. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Hopefully what we shared was valuable, whether it encouraged you or challenged you. Our goal is to equip you to make better financial decisions. So engage with us at wisdomofwealth.co. We want to connect with you and continue the conversation. Make an appointment today. Ryan, myself, or anyone else from the Wisdom of Wealth team would love to meet with you. We look forward to talking more. And again, that's wisdomofwealth.co. See you on the next episode.